Morning, guys. My name's Philip. And uh, when we moved out here to Baghdad, well, Shelby County, but Baghdad about three years ago, we had no idea how much Kroger would become a vital part of our lives. Yeah. <laughs> so, so before Baghdad, we lived in Dallas. Uh, well, we lived in St. Matthews and Louisville, then Dallas, then Southern California. And, and something that all of those places had in common, except for Baghdad, was that there was a Whole Foods right around the corner. So uh, as, as, as life happens, right, we've got kids coming. We have four kids now. Um, it was always nice at the end of the workday uh, to say, hey, babe, hey, babe, let's, like, not cook at home. Let's just go to Whole Foods around the corner and pick up some GT's kombucha and some samosas from the hot deli. Anybody? No, nobody. Oh, okay, one. Okay. Anyway, if you go to Whole Foods, um, it's really good there. <laughs> so uh, that, that was kind of our routine when we, when we lived uh, in, I guess, more of an urban area. And now, now living in Baghdad, instead of going to Whole Foods every day, we go to Kroger like multiple times a day. And so this, this past week, as we're making our 17th trip of the day to Kroger, uh, we run into someone there because that's what happens in Shelby County is you go to Kroger and you run into all your friends. It's really, it's really cool. And, and our friend shared this not-so-secret secret with us, and it's this. Uh, if you download the Kroger app, did you know that they preload the coupons on your phone? And when you check out, they're automatically applied. Yep, there's Jenny right there. They're automatically applied to your, to your, like, your order. Do you know that? Hold on. Do you guys know that? Okay, so secret to me, not to you guys. That's okay. <laughs> That's okay. Uh, I mean, who doesn't love getting something at a discount? Who doesn't love uh, knowing that I can get something that's all of the value but like half the price or maybe even free? <clears throat> so I remember in my sophomore year of high school in my econ class, and if you're wondering, that was actually only about two years ago for me. Uh, just kidding. He was like 13. We calculated it yesterday. Um, I was in my econ class, and, and this was at a time, so 2003, when chalkboards were not cool and uh, dry erase boards were all the rage. And Mr. Mira, uh, my econ teacher, who had a mustache before mustaches came back in vogue, I'll tell you that much, uh, Mr. Mira went up to the whiteboard, and with his dry erase marker, he wrote, Nestafel. And, and it was an acronym, Nestafel. I have, like, no idea what it meant. And, of course, he asked us, hey, guys, what does this mean? Crickets. Kind of like this, crickets. Well, it stands for no such thing as a free lunch. No such thing as a free lunch. And if you Google it, it's a real thing. I promise. So, um, so no such thing as a free lunch is this economic principle that says that um, if you get something free or discounted, someone, somewhere, somehow paid for it. There is no such thing as a free lunch. So um, the, the $78 shirt that you paid for, um, someone, somewhere paid for that, more than likely um, an underpaid and probably abused underage worker in Southeast Asia. Uh, on a more positive note, the beautiful park system that we enjoy here in Shelby County uh, is free for us, but of course we all pay for it with our tax dollars. Oh. <laughs> Not all paid for by tax dollars. 
Not at all. Subsidized. Uh, corporate sponsors. Okay. That's Jeff where he's. <laughs> Thank you. Um, or when you buy, I hope I get this one right, you buy three tires and get one free. Uh, Big O Tires has already figured out how to get someone else to pay for that with some service add-ons or something like that, right? Um, you know, when you win two free tickets to a UK basketball game from the radio station, someone, probably a sponsor, has paid for that. I mean, there is no such thing as a free lunch. And I didn't know that back then, I would remember, I would remember this, this no such thing as a free lunch, this economic principle by Mr. Mira uh, that had gospel implications. So we've been spending the past couple weeks in Exodus, in a series called Leaving Your Comfort Zone. And we've witnessed Moses being born into slavery, placed into this, this basket, floated down the river, and picked up by Pharaoh's daughter to be raised in royalty. And we learned that, that without Jesus, opportunities become oppression. And as Moses, at the ripe young age of 80, heeds the call from God in the burning bush, we saw the interaction between Moses and the hard heart of Pharaoh. See, Moses had no credibility, so he had to trust God that the nation of Israel would trust him as a leader. And, and we, we've, we've been following this kind of cosmic battle play out between Moses and Pharaoh. They're going one for one with these supernatural works. Moses says, oh, I'm going to turn this water to blood, and, and, and Pharaoh's magicians do the same thing. Moses says, I'm going to take my staff and throw it down on the ground. It's going to turn to a snake. And the magicians do the same thing. And so, so you kind of wonder, like, at what point is it going to end? Who's going to win this? Because it doesn't really make sense. God is God. Why can Pharaoh's people do this stuff? I mean, he's God, right? But Pharaoh soon learns that you can't outlast the everlasting God. And he's subjected to a series of plagues, one more, more terrible than the other. And finally, because of Pharaoh's stubbornness, God's ready to strike the final blow. He's ready to let him know who's really in charge. No more tit-for-tat, no more one-for-one -one supernatural works. He's going to show them who's really in charge. But you got to understand, like, the Israelites have been enslaved for the past 400 years in a foreign land. Generations of them had been born, they lived, and they died there. So here we are at the cusp of the Exodus, the namesake of the book we've been walking through, the edge of deliverance. But God's deliverance didn't come wrapped in an Amazon Prime box with a smile because he got two-day shipping. Uh, there was still more work to do. So if you would join me in Exodus chapter 12, verses 1 through 13, uh, we may or may not have slides because the software updated right before service and we lost a lot of stuff. So um, Exodus chapter 12, verses 1 through 13 While the Israelites were still in the land of Egypt, the Lord gave the following instructions to Moses and Aaron. From now on, this month will be the first month of the year for you. Announce to the whole community of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, each family must choose a lamb or a young goat for a sacrifice, one animal for each household. If a family is too small to eat the whole animal, let them share with, one, with another family in the neighborhood. Divide the animal according to the size of each family and how much they can eat. The animal you select must be a one-year-old male, either a sheep or a goat, with no defects. 
Take special care of this chosen animal until the evening of the 14th day of the first month. Then the whole assembly of the community of Israel must slaughter their lamb or young goat at twilight. They are to take some of the blood and smear it on the sides and top of the door frames of the houses where they eat the animal. That same night, they must roast the meat over a fire and eat it, along with bitter salad greens and bread made without yeast. And do not eat any of the meat raw or boiled in water. The whole animal, including the head, legs, and internal organs, must be roasted over a fire. Do not leave any of it until the next morning. Burn whatever is not eaten before the morning. These are your instructions before eating this meal. Be fully dressed, wear your sandals, and carry your walking stick in your hand. Eat the meal with urgency, for this is the Lord's Passover. Let me just take a quick break here. This is why, like what we're about to read next in verse 12, this is why they're going through all of this preparation, right? This is also uh, how God is going to let Pharaoh know who is really in charge. Starting in verse 12, on that night, I will pass through the land of Egypt and strike down every firstborn son and firstborn male animal in the land of Egypt. I will execute judgment against all the gods of Egypt, for I am the Lord. But the blood on your doorposts will serve as a sign, marking the houses where you are staying. When I see the blood, I will pass over you. This plague of death will not touch you when I strike the land of Egypt. So that's how God is going to show Moses who's in charge. Pharaoh's stu- sorry, so fa- show Pharaoh who's in charge. Pharaoh's stubbornness was going to cost him and all the people in his kingdom their firstborn children. The firstborn child from every family from the prisoner in jail to Pharaoh's own household. This is how, how it's described in Exodus chapter 12, 29 through 30. At midnight, the Lord struck down all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on the throne to the firstborn of the captive who was in the dungeon, and all the firstborn of the livestock. And Pharaoh rose up in the night, he and all his servants and all the Egyptians. And as I read this next one, I just want you to imagine this because uh, we, we remember baby Moses in the basket of reeds. And remember the Israelites, you know, we, we know that they're going to they're gonna walk on dry land. But everything comes at a cost. There is no such thing as a free lunch. Deliverance costs someone, somewhere, something. And there was a great cry in Egypt, for there was not a house where someone was not dead. God's deliverance came at a cost for everyone. It cost the Egyptians the firstborn of every household. And not to mention they were going to lose their whole economic system because their, their slaves, the free laborers, were getting ready to leave. But for the Israelites, it meant leaving everything they knew for a new land. It meant leaving slavery for freedom in the land that none of them had been to. This is how the land is described in Chapter 13, verse 5. Exodus chapter 13, verse 5. And when the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, and the Hivites, and the Jebusites, which he swore to your fathers to give you, a land flowing with milk and honey, you shall keep this service in this month, referring to the Passover. This final blow to the Egyptians provided the nation of Israel the deliverance that they had been crying for, for the past 400 years. But, uh, you know, July 4th is our Independence Day, right? Barbecues, fireworks, all kinds of celebrations. 
I mean, this was their Independence Day too, but it wasn't celebrated this way. In fact, God commands the Israelites to remember this ordeal, much like we remember special moments in our nation's history. Four times in chapter 12, this is what he says. I'm going to run through these. I don't know if they'll be up there, but I'm going to run through these here. Chapter, chapter 12, verse 14, God says, This is the day to remember. Each year, from generation to generation, you must celebrate it as a special festival to the Lord. This is the law of all time. Three more verses down, chapter, uh, verse 17. Celebrate this festival of unleavened bread, for it will remind you that I brought your forces out of the land of Egypt on this very day. This festival will be a permanent law for you. Celebrate this day from generation to generation. Again, in verse 24, remember these instructions are a permanent law that you and your descendants must observe forever. Then in chapter 13, verses 9 through 10, this annual festival, festival will be a visible sign to you, like a mark branded on your hand or your forehead. Let it remind you always to recite this teaching of the Lord. With a strong hand, the Lord rescued you from Egypt. So observe the decree of this festival at the appointed time each year. We can't overestimate how important this memorial was for them and how important it is for us now. Because it's not only that God brought them out of Egypt, but it's how God brought them out of Egypt. For good reason. Because when God delivers you, it doesn't just cost him something, it costs him someone. And that's Jesus, his own firstborn son. So there is really only, only one slight difference, not a slight difference. There was only one difference between the Egyptians and the Israelites when God came. Right? The Egyptians didn't have anything except for a hard, hard-headed leader that was bringing this on them. And the Israelites had killed uh, a choice lamb. And, and, and shed its blood and painted their doorposts with it. All right, there we go. So, so when the Israelites slaughtered the lamb and painted the door with the blood, like it wasn't, it wasn't ceremonial. It, it was a real thing because the angel of death was literally out for blood. And when, they, when, when, when God passed by the Israelites' doors, he saw that blood had already been spilled and he didn't have to take any from them. So what's the difference between you and someone else? Because the same God that offered deliverance to the nation of Israel through the blood of lambs offers you deliverance through the death, burial, and resurrection of his own son. So if you struggle with sin, sin, like, oh, I struggle with sin. Like, maybe it's not, maybe it's more specific than that, right? Maybe you struggle with pride. God is offering you deliverance. You struggle with porn. God is also offering you deliverance. You struggle with addiction. God is offering you deliverance. And this, this took me a, a, a while to figure out um, after I uh, got saved, but um, it's not a blank check, right? That's, that's where that economic principle comes in. Like, it's not like God's like, hey, here, just do your, like, you're saved, go do your thing. It didn't cost me anything. It's cool, just go. Like, it's not a blank check because God is just. So how does a just God get his when we're not receiving that punishment, what happens? Well, instead of making us pay for our own sins, God sees someone else's blood was spilled when he looks at us. See, God's justice was served by Jesus' sacrifice. God's justice was served by Jesus' sacrifice. Now, here's the other thing. It can also feel like a guilt trip right about now. But it doesn't need to be. Because if we look at it 
like through a lens without love, then we can feel guilty about not being held responsible for our own sins, for things that we've done. But what if instead of feeling guilty for what Jesus did for us, we looked at it through another lens, a lens of love? What if God loved us so much that he was willing to send his own son to die on the cross in our place? I love how John says it in, in uh, chapter 15, verse 13. He says, there is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. So when we look at it through that lens, then that guilt turns into like a, a loyalty. It turns into a bond. It turns into a relationship that can only be brought about by that sort of love, that sacrificial love. And it's the sort of love that demonstrates just how far God is willing to go to save us. And at the end of the day, when we receive that love, it pushes us outside of our comfort zone to lovingly sacrifice for others, much like we heard in the story shared this morning. I mean, it looks different for all of us. So uh, I think in a week or two, uh, there's a group of people heading down to Miami to help with uh, reconstruction because people's lives were completely upended after the hurricane. Uh, some people might head to Indonesia to support our Christians and brother, Christian brothers and sisters out there. Or another group of people uh, might decide to serve refugees in our own community that are of a different culture and a different religion. But, but through it all, we can look for God's grace to find our way out of sin and into freedom. The band, you guys want to come back up here. So if you've been looking for a way out of sin, you don't need to feel guilty about it. Because we've got people in the back that will be available to talk to you, to pray with you, to love you. That's, that's the beauty of the gospel. But if you've accepted the gift of grace that God has offered, and you do have a relationship with him, then we encourage you to participate in a celebration of remembrance that we do here every Sunday. So you'll see at either end, there's a piece of bread and some grape juice. And much, like, much like God commanded the Israelites to remember their deliverance, because it was so important, not because they were free, but because what he had done for them. That's what we get to do every single week when we come here. We take the bread and we dip it in the juice. We take it. We do this in remembrance of what God did for us, of what Jesus did willingly for us. Not so that we feel guilty, but so that we can step out of sin and into freedom.